0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We're so glad to see you this morning and that you braved the crazy weather to get here. We, <laughs> I know it's a nice change. Would you stand with me as we start worship this morning? with no conditions you gave us your hope Tell me that grace is taking care of it. Oh, Jesus, you
1: Good morning, God. We rejoice in gathering together to worship you in a true expression of love, to lift your name on high. Only you are holy, our King, Lord over all things, supreme in all things. You alone are head of the body, our church. Oh, Lord, forgive our fear when you have told us over and over, fear not. Do not let your heart be troubled. Thank you, Lord, that we need not be limited in our perspective by the things going on around us. Thank you that you are always working behind the scenes. Anchor us, Lord, in your word and daily prayer so that we become stronger in our faith and come to know you and love you more and more. That we develop your perspective and vision for what you are doing in our country and around the world. Father, your word tells us that we are to clothe ourselves in humility, that you oppose the proud, but give grace to those who are humble toward one another. May our fellowship of believers be determined to keep the unity of the Holy Spirit I pray that you will fill La Jolla Community Church with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, that we would increasingly become firmly established in putting to death our sinful natures, that there be greater room for the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Make us ready, Lord, to receive all that you have for us. Help us, Jesus, in our weakness. Teach us to walk in your ways so that a community of faith, we might move forward with the leading of the Holy Spirit in humility together to participate in the kingdom work that you have for us. I ask these things in the name of our blessed Redeemer, Jesus. Amen.
2: Well, good morning, La Jolla Community Church. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the student ministries director here. And If I croak a little bit or get a little raspy, the young adults and I spent all day at Aquatica yesterday, so I apologize if my voice is a little bit hoarse. We had a little bit of fun, though. It was awesome. Well, I would love to bring your attention to a few things. First and foremost, thank you so much for braving this horribly terrible weather to get out here. Absolutely love that you all braved the storm. I know it was so hard. We in California don't tend to do well with this kind of weather. So appreciate everybody braving it, making it out here. Um, A few things I would love to draw your attention to in the little packet you should have gotten on your way in. There's a couple of cards I would love to have you fill out. First and foremost is this Get Connected card. This is how we get you plugged in, involved, and engaged in some of the wonderful, wonderful ministries we have here at La Jolla Community Church. We've got a Young Adults Lunch that meets after church every Sunday. If you'd like to provide food for that, we need lots of help. If you want to be part of our greeting team, our ushering team, there's so many wonderful, wonderful things going on here at La Jolla Community Church. So please take a moment, fill that out, let us know how we can get you engaged, plugged in, and involved in our wonderful little church here. Speaking of getting engaged and involved, we at La Jolla Community Church believe in the power of prayer. We believe in supporting one another, lifting each other up, and praying for those that are struggling. So if you've got something going on in your life that you need a little help with, maybe you've got a little anxiety trying to figure out your, your new role in this crazy world we've got going on here, maybe your heart's breaking for some of the things that you're seeing going on around the world, take a moment, write that down, we want to pray with you. One of my favorite things I get to do every single week is to individually pray over every single prayer request that is written from our family. We are a family here at La Jolla Community Church that loves on each other. So if you've got a praise report, something wonderful that's going on in your life, please take a moment, fill that out. We want to celebrate with you. We want to be joyful. Or if you just need a little bit of extra help, please take a moment to fill that out. With that, um, I believe because of the rain, our prayer garden is going to be a little bit closed. But if you would like some prayer, Mike Hedman and the prayer team are wandering around. They would love, love, love to pray over you and get you some prayer. But uh, we'll try and stay a little bit dry and uh, uh, keep us safe today. Um, with that being said, with all the little cards that you got on your way out, there's a box mounted on the wall where you can place a little offering envelope or any of the other cards. Anybody in the Welcome Center, there is also one in there. Um, but hope everybody has a wonderful, safe, and dry Sunday. We thank you so much for joining us. With that, Pastor Steve's going to lead us in a little message.
3: Well, I want to thank the band for leading us into the presence of God. Uh, I, I want to thank Kathy for... Yeah, and I want to thank Kathy for uh, expressing our hearts to the Lord. Uh, I find you jumpstart my thinking in, in, in prayer processes. I hope that's true for you, too. I hope the music and the prayer engages you enough to say, Lord, I want, I want more of this. I want to keep this going. I thank Ryan. I mean, having Ryan appears like having a ninth cup of coffee. It is just so invigorating and energizing. Thank you for that. I want to give you the three secrets uh, to a great sermon. Uh, You want to have a really strong opening. You want to have a really strong closing. And you want them as close together as possible. (laughs) This has been so elusive to me that I live in this range. And I'm really trying to get to this range. It's just slow. Uh, So anyway, today uh, our, our focus is on humility. And I want to tell you everything I know about humility today. It'll take a sec. And then we'll have lots of time for other things. So maybe today it would be more like this. Uh, Here's my opening. Humility is good. Here's my closing. More humility is better. (laughs) Are you with me so far? Humility is good. More humility is better. And I, I want to hopefully confirm the things you already know about humility I want to correct some things you might think you know about humility. Because what most folks would say is humility is not humility. Uh, and then what do you do? If, you, if, you, if not humility is what you're focusing on, you feel perpetually guilty or perpetually motivated to pretend you're humble. Versus simply being the, the person that God is creating you to, has created you to be and is saving you, redeeming you to be. So, we're going to go in that direction, but I want to ask this question as we start. Who's qualified to talk about humility? Who's qualified to talk about humility? I just stand up. I'd love to see you, you know, right? I mean, the first person that stands up, everybody's going to go, no, 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 no. Sit down now. Sit down quickly before anybody sees you. Because nobody feels qualified to talk about humility uh and that's why you get all those dumb jokes you know uh my new book humility and how i achieved it you know that kind of thing silly things like that um uh, the, the, the there's a new book out the guy's book on humility it's all blank pages you know it's that kind of a thing so who's qualified to talk about humility uh, it might surprise you that we're all qualified when it comes to talking about humility we're all qualified when it comes to talking about humility. And let me explain that a little bit more specifically. There are two definitions to the word qualified. Wouldn't you know? Uh, And we are the second definition of, of the word. Let me start with the first definition of the word. The first definition in the dictionary of the word qualified is fully certified. Authoritative, competent, convincing, credible, all that. That's not us. The second definition is this not complete and limited. It's like every warranty you've ever had or bought, it's a warranty until you need it. And once you need the warranty and you call them up and you say, hey, my, you know, uh, whatever it is, you know, my turbo and tabulator just blew up, you know. Oh, yeah, well, let me get, let me get that warranty out. Yeah, it's the phone book-looking thing, right. Okay, let's talk about this. Oh, wouldn't you know, this is a qualified warranty, which means nothing you will ever have is covered in this warranty. So the second definition, not complete, limited, that's us, limited and incomplete. So anything we have to say about humility is seriously qualified, isn't it? just try to be a dad telling a teenager to have humility. Mom maybe can pull it off. But his dad telling the kids how to be humble, just like dad, the kids' eyes are rolling, you know, they're smirking, they're trying not to laugh, they're thinking, oh, I can't wait to tell all my friends about this conversation. Um, anything we have to say is seriously qualified. And then it gets serious. After all the, you know, the funniness about humility and, and human lack thereof, Uh, what a difference humility would have made in the events of this past week. What a difference humility would have made in the events culminating in the past week. And there's plenty of fingers to point toward uh, versions and examples of that, but it was an outrageous lack of humility that people were moaning and groaning and complaining about uh, all week, and that will continue for a very long time. What a difference humility would have made in the events of this week. And maybe you're thinking, oh, I'm not even thinking about national or international issues. I'm thinking about it at my house. What a difference humility would have made this week. Perhaps you're thinking, oh, if only this week at work I would have practiced humility, I would still have the job I had on Monday that I don't have today, right? It's that sort of a thing. All of us uh, can relate to that. What a difference a little bit or maybe more than a little bit of humility makes in how we experience life. So that's why the Bible speaks about our need to grow in humility. Uh, If you've never used a Bible gateway, that's the computer version of a concordance. A concordance is that massive book that you can look up uh, the the meaning, the definition uh, of a word. It's not like a dictionary, but you say, um, how many times is the word humility used in the Bible? It'll give you a list of that. Bible Gateway can do that for you. And they have a word search, a passage search. So if you're ever <clears throat> reading the Bible uh, or, or you're thinking of a verse, you can't remember where it is, but it has a word in it that you can remember, put that word in. Bible Gateway is super helpful. But let me give you a speaking, living, present version of Bible Gateway. Let me just give you a couple, uh, uh, let me give you a 10, quick 10-verse uh, quick overview of what the Bible says about humility. I'm not going to comment on them. I'm just going to read them. There's a passage we'll focus on more intently in just a few moments. But the Bible speaks about our need to grow in humility. It's a very big deal throughout the whole Bible. A proverb says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Uh, that, That summarizes the entire Old Testament. Zillions of verses on humility, but that's a good one to summarize it. And then a flavor of the entire New Testament from the Gospels through to the letters. Matthew, whoever humbles himself is like this child like this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Luke, he has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. Another one out of Luke. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Ephesians, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Colossians, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with humility. Titus, show true humility toward all people. James, who is wise and understanding among you, show it by deeds done in humility. 1 Peter, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So it gives you a little taste, uh, a little bit of an aroma of the fragrance of humility uh, permeating the Bible. And and this becomes one of these core uh, conversations we want to have, not just as a congregation, but you in your own heart of hearts with the Lord. Uh, because, if you, if we, again, if we don't understand what real humility is, we're going to live under a faux humility that is absolutely oppressive or deceitful. God wants to set us free uh, to be people with, with humility. Because all kinds of other f- wonderful things come from that, cascade from that, come to that. So the first big idea is this. Jesus Christ is our standard for humility simply by being himself. Jesus Christ is our standard for humility simply by being himself. His humility was so much integrated into his whole being, it was just what it was. Oh, he's 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 so humble. He's just being Jesus. Oh, where's this humility coming from? Is this some kind of a pose? No, that's just who it is. I thought he was God. I thought he was king of the universe. I thought he was Lord overall. Why is he so humble? That's that's how he rolls. That's who he is. Uh, In 1990, Ken Blanchard said, don't think less of yourself, just think of yourself less. Isn't that a powerful phrase? Don't think less of yourself, just think of yourself less. Now, it's brilliant, and it's been attributed to many people. It's been attributed, of course, as all things are, to C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis did everything. Uh, it's been attributed to Rick Warren, Uh, it's been attributed to Timothy Keller. Uh, Over 7 billion people have not attributed this to me. I want to let you know that factoid right there. Over 7 billion people have not attributed this to me. But this has been attributed to many, but perfectly applied by only one person, Jesus. I think the the humor in this would be uh, having an argument with somebody about who said it. And then at some point, somebody with some humility humility and wisdom would say, so, okay, let's just agree that they said it. Did they live it? How did they apply it? The conversation kind of trickles off, peters out at that point. You can claim to have this really pithy, wonderful, brilliant saying about humility, but only one person who's ever walked the earth has managed to apply it, and that's Jesus. And so here we are in in probably the the anchor-tenant passage, the foundational passage to help us understand uh, what humility looks like in Jesus. It's out of Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. This is the most classic theological statement. uh, And it's called the kenosis passage because somebody thought that was a great name, I guess. Um, No, kenosis means to empty oneself. So if you hear somebody say, oh, Jesus was kenotic, that means he was self-emptying. Kenosis. It's powerful because it is so not what people expect of God. Uh, this was offensive to the Greek who had a platonic ideal that super, super spiritual things or people, beings, never mix it up with those less so. A king would never say, me and the slave are equal. Me and the servant are on the same level. Uh, it was offensive to the, to the Jews. They'd say, how dare anybody even presume that God Would do that. And of course, the secularist in the modern age would say, impossible. How does that happen? So here we are Philippians 2 1 to 11. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. This is actually starting in about verse 2 or 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. So that's the first uh, insight of understanding related to what is humility. It's, con- it's basically considering others better than yourselves. Not at the expense of I'm a worm, I'm a weasel, I'm a poser, everybody's better than me. But stop to consider that they might have some value and worth that is not apparent to you. That might even be more impressive to you than your own. So this is not a I have to go down so somebody can go up kind of a thing. It's simply saying stop to consider and then it fills it out by saying each of you should look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. So the first is stop and, and reframe this. Consider. And the second part is here's what it looks like to apply it. Consider others' interests as important as your own. Also, of that, that says, wow, okay, we are equal. We're woefully equal in our need for God. Woefully equal in our capacity to miss that. And to, to disobey that, defy that, ignore that. Uh, and as it relates to relationships functionally, what would it look like in your home, in your marriage, in your workplace, uh, in, in the halls of Congress, in, in the, 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 the hallways and, and meeting rooms of the United Nations and around the world in every possible uh, geopolitical unit to do that? To look not only to your own, own interests, but also to the interests of others. So last weekend, if you saw this cloud moving toward your city, consuming and sweeping Afghanistan, and you saw the first person in a Humvee, you're a little confused because it says U.S. on it, but that, but it or, or on a horse, or on a motorcycle, and the first person that came by, you said, hey, what's going on here? who are you guys? And the the spokesperson for that group said, you know, we're just here to consider others better than ourselves. We're simply here to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. What do you think every town would do? Well, come on in. Glad to have you here. We need more people like you. Of course, that's not what happened. That's not what happens in lots of homes. It's not what happens in lots of workplaces. It's not about me considering anything other than what I want. Your interests are interesting, but my interests are more interesting. And yes, I want your opinion, and if I do, I will give it to you. This is the dilemma that we face as human beings. This is what's so radical about this passage being applied to Jesus. It goes on, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Okay, that's the standard attitude. Let's see what it looks like. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. I'll take that, thank you. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. You've heard that term, doulos? That's a servant. It's a voluntary servant. A Dulos was a person who said, I'm be, I could be set free, um, but I'm going to actually voluntarily become a servant. For, for many, many years, the guy that ran the, the rescue mission at the heart of the now the homeless debacle in, in LA was a guy named Bill. And he was like Bill Martin or Bill Turner. Uh, but when I met him, he just turned, changed his name to Bill Dulos. When I first met him, I, I, he was introduced as Bill Dulos, and I said, Well, uh, like the voluntary slave, the voluntary servant? And and it turns out the people I was with said, Yeah, he went to Fuller just ahead of us. Like, oh, okay, so you get what you're naming yourself. You, oh, Yeah, it's very intentional. I thought maybe he's a Greek guy. I don't know, you know. So this guy, and I said, So what moved you to name yourself Dulos? I said, Because on one hand, it's kind of pretentious. Uh, he said, Well, I thought I had, to, I had to remind myself every day in every way that I'm here to serve other people. Because I know me, and I know I would get so tired of it so quickly, and I'd start rank ordering everybody that I saw. I'd start playing that whole trip about, I am so awesome and you guys need me so desperately. He just said, I am a servant among God's people. And every day I expect to see Jesus wherever I go. And so I want to emulate him. You know, it's a powerful thing, right? This is what Jesus put into motion the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. goes on to say, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, I'm going to just undo a little theological nugget here. It's a mistake, it's a heresy, it's an ancient heresy, and it's this word appearance. Uh, and it's, um, it's a, a, a docetism. Docetism says something appears to be. What this means in context is that God becomes a man. You can see him. The visible expression of the invisible God, Jesus. Born of woman, you know. Uh, he could cry, he could bleed, he could whatever. But, but early on, there were, there were these platonic kind of people who said, I just can't get my head around this. So I see what's going on here. I'm very attracted to the gospel of Jesus. But I think what's really happening here is it wasn't really God becoming a man. Because I know as a platonist that would not work. So it just appears that he was a man. He was sort of putting on a man costume. In fact, it goes further. They say, you know, Jesus was just a guy who when he was baptized God put some, you know, pixie dust on him for three years and then right when he was dying on the cross God removed that pixie dust. Eloi, oh Eloi, lama sabachthani. Oh, you know, Lord, Lord, why, why are you forsaking me? Missing the entire drama that constitutes the gospel. But so you see where heresy comes in right away? Why? Because we are absolutely natural rationalizers. Well, I would have been so humble, but how, how, the way you were acting, well, I thought at that moment humility wasn't what was needed. It was, it was a forceful, you know, okay, I mean, and I'm just quoting myself here, um, being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now this is the final straw. The, the, the Greek thinkers are going outrageous, ridiculous that God will allow himself to be crucified. The Jews, this is so horrifically bad, you're dishonoring God, this is blasphemy. But here's the amazing thing as, as, as that... Um, wonderful pastor who lived for 40 years here in San Diego said, it's Friday, but Sunday's are coming. It's, it's grim. It's bad. It couldn't be worse. But here's the amazing thing. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus Christ, crucified, dead and buried, raised from the dead by God, vindicating the incarnation of God as a man among men. In a sense, uh, it's so profound that, that the Apostle Paul calls him the new Adam. Where Adam was made perfectly and failed, God himself comes into the world as the new Adam and succeeds. How? Through brute force and all the, the, the you know, secret sauce that God could bring? No. Simply by being obedient to God the Father as God the Son amazing that god himself fulfills what we did not and would not and could not ultimately and so he's now exalted and given the name that is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and then finally and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father breathtaking controversial, offensive, and unfortunately true. There's a a famous theologian, American theologian named Will Willimon. He was the dean of the School of Theology at Duke University. And uh, he started out believing that You you should be born again, and the Bible is God's word, that Jesus is Lord. But as he he became more articulate and sophisticated theologically, he was sort of distancing himself from that. It's a little bit too grimy, grubby in the street. He wanted a more refined, intellectual approach to faith. And he and and his wife had to go to a a memorial service for a dear friend. As they're sitting there, the country pastor gets up and talks to the people about their soul. They've, they've remembered and celebrated this dear friend, but now the pastor's talking to him, saying, you need to repent of your sin. If not, uh, when you face the judgment, uh, you, will, you will go to hell. You'll be lost if you don't receive the grace of God in Christ, as our brother did. Driving home, Will was beside himself. He was so irate, so offended. He goes, talking to his wife. He said, can you believe that? That was outrageous what that guy said. And she said, honey, you're so right. And unfortunately, it was true. He's like, what, you two?" She goes, will, will, will. That's the gospel that you teach every day. Because yeah, it is. I, I just, when I hear it in its raw state, it touches my pride. God should be giving me a trophy, not a second chance, right? It's that sort of thing. Do you identify with that at all? Boy, God is lucky to have me. Well, as they consider the facts, I just might choose for God. Well, how kind of you. How magnanimous. Jesus is our proper standard for humility because he personified it. He was it. Jesus simply being himself. Tells us everything we need to know about humility. He's the only person to walk the earth thoroughly qualified to talk about Humility. So if whenever you talk about humility, whenever I talk about it, we should probably say, well, to quote Jesus, <laughs> you can have a lot of knowledge and, and authority when it comes to talking about humility. I would put it in context, though. I would say, well, as I've learned from Jesus, as I've noticed in Jesus, as I've learned under the teaching of the Word of God, oh yeah, uh, through whom uh, we have through Jesus, by the way, who also created all things on heaven, in heaven and on earth. Oh, okay. You you qualify, right? He's the only one qualified to talk about humility. He voluntarily became vulnerable and accessible on our behalf. The greatest um, attributes of every leader at every level is what? Vulnerability and accessibility. They don't get up and speak defiantly to a bunch of people about something they've done wrong and then walk away. Like I can do. Like I saw this week. uh years ago uh when i uh, i i it was when i first had um i've been in LA for maybe about 5 years and uh i i met an aspiring young opera singer named Andrew Richards he was in his uh mid 20s at the time and he was just a great guy just an awesome southern california guy you know and enthusiastic and just, just kind of a guy you, you'd, you'd expect to see him getting out of the water at Windensea only this guy was aspiring to be an opera singer. And so uh, he was just a delight. And he worked really hard, and finally he made his international debut in Berlin in his, in his late 20s. It was epic. Uh, uh, and uh, it was, you know, all the news came out, hey, guess what, Andrew is, is going to make his debut uh, in Berlin in this famous opera, uh, Macbeth. Oh! And then it was, well, except that it's an avant-garde version of Macbeth, and so he's going to be playing an ant. Wait, how do you tell your mom and dad, Mom, Dad, I finally made it to the big time. I'm going to be featured in a European opera. Oh, honey, that's so great. What are you? Are you Macbeth? No, I'm an ant. Well, of course, everybody in the, char- in the play was characterized as something else, and so he was actually Macduff uh, in Macbeth. And if you know anything about Macbeth, uh, Macduff is everything good. Macbeth is everything evil, and and really Macduff is, is is the kind of the Christ figure in that play. And So I thought that's interesting. You know, he's an ant, um, but his attitude was, "I'll do whatever it takes to fulfill my mission as a singer." Hey you want me to be an aunt? I don't care. I'll be an aunt. It was a great attitude. And ironically, you know, think about this as Macduff, as an aunt, who is he emulating? And, and Andrew is a person of faith, right? And so he did it for love. And so from that humble beginning, he's had a great career, eventually singing at the Met. So everything he aspired to came to be, but he started by saying, oh, if I have to start as an aunt, that's just fine. So friends, were uh, the, the couple, uh, they were coming out of the NFL. This guy had been a, a, a major player for the Kansas City Chiefs. His father had been a major player. All the wealth, all the fame and fortune of that. Um, he's leaving it. You know, he's ancient. He's like 32. And so he, <clears throat> we were talking. He said, well, Brad, what are you going to do? Uh, I don't know. It's a lot of pressure to do something big. But really what I want to do, I want to be a physical therapist. And I said, that's, a, that's awesome. And that's gutsy. He goes, I know. I'm going to disappoint a lot of people. They're going to go, oh, nice. And, and I said to his wife, well, how do you feel about that? he has got to go back to school, get a degree. And now he's already got an undergraduate degree from USC. But he's going to go start over and... Uh, she said, "You know, if I have to flip burgers to support Brad and his career, I'm fine with that." Like, "Whoa. Having talked to many people who come out of that situation, I don't hear that very often. It's like, "Why set up for this level of lifestyle? I don't think we should be compromising that, do you." Jesus' international debut was in the manner of an ant. God became man. He had a mission to fulfill that masked his true greatness. Why? He did it for love. That's that's the folk version, that's the vernacular version of Philippians chapter 2. In extraordinary humility, Jesus became a suffering servant before becoming the exalted king. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now that's not going to be a Taliban moment. On your knees, you know, it's going to be just a declaration from the throne. Ah, Jesus, Lord and King, and, and is entering His domain, and He puts up His hands, and you see the marks in His hands, and you can imagine the mark in His side, and there's a hush that falls over the, you know, the throng of people from every nation, and an intake of breath and the glory of of, of the risen king, the lamb who was slain, now the great lion exalted and people fall on their face and if, if somebody could turn to somebody and say do you believe this not till this moment why did you fall on your face or on your knees, I couldn't help myself how could you do otherwise, did you feel coerced, no I felt inspired, moved Nobody hit me in the back of the knees or the lower of my back with a gun butt. Just the love poured out and over and through and brought me to that place of surrender. So it leads us to the second point. Humble people glorify God and bless people simply by being themselves. Why? Because Jesus personifies humility simply by being himself. And Christ in you is your only hope for being qualified to live a life of humility. Or any of us. So who are we and how should we think of ourselves? Well, we're fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. That's what the Bible tells us. We are from the dust, a fragile flower, a blade of grass, blooming and quickly fading. We are mist, morning dew, chaff, smoke in the air, one chasing after wind. These are all biblical you know, metaphors. We are spiritual rebels, orphans, usurpers of God, cursed and dead without God. Whoa, it gets grim in a hurry. Yes, it it does. But there's more, right? We are beloved and cherished, adopted sons and daughters by faith in Jesus. We will not die, but we will be resurrected with new transformed bodies. Through his genuine humility, Jesus welcomes us into his forever kingdom as his beloved children by faith. So humble people glorify God and bless others simply by being themselves. And again, we say this every week, it's not about being perfect, it's just about being in Christ, who in this process makes us a better version of who we started out as, writes a better story in us. And so it takes genuine humility to build a marriage, doesn't it? How could you build a marriage without genuine humility? Oh, I know, you could build a short marriage, you could build multiple marriages, you could have so many marriages after a while you don't need to get married again because you've got so much credit in, in your account, that you just live with people as if you're married. It takes genuine humility to build a marriage, to build a family, to build a community, to build a nation, to build a church, to build anything. And when I say build, I don't mean to you know, command and control, I mean to influence and inspire. Lack of humility destroys those things. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, whose interest do we consider most often? Our default is what's in it for me. What's it going to cost me? What's it going to gain me? I love seeing people humbly embrace a dream and then work humbly achieving it. Don't you? You see somebody saying, uh, I don't know where this is going to go or if it's even going to work, but I'm committed. And they jump in and they're doing those things. <clears throat> um, I'm always most impressed with people who are, whether they're highly educated or affluent or accomplished, who, if you needed them (laughs) to do it, you said, could you help me clean the toilets? They go, yeah, where's the stuff? They wouldn't go, don't you have people to do that sort of thing? No, they would say, yeah, sure, what what else do you want to do? Right, that's that's what we're talking about. I have a role model for all of you who are aspiring scholars. Uh, the, The name is William Thompson. Uh, You might not know that name, but if you've ever studied anything to do with um, thermodynamics, which I do on a regular basis, um, you understand the name Kelvin. You know Kelvin, right? So many Kelvins. Um, Well, Kelvin is the name of a creek, a stream that runs by an office that was inhabited by William Thompson when he was a professor at the University of Glasgow, uh, and so when, when the Queen of England knighted him as Lord, Kel- uh, Lord to be part of the House of Lords, they, they had to pick a name because he was from a common family, so he didn't have this lineage, so what do you want, what do you want your lordship to, to be named? He's like, Kelvin. So Lord Kelvin is Lord you know, Stream. You know, So William Thompson uh, was quite an amazing guy. Uh, he, you know what the transatlantic cable is? Uh, he's the guy that put that in place. Uh, you know what electric motors are? Did you drive here in one? Uh, he, he invented it. Uh, he had 600 plus scientific papers. He was the, pre, pre, the head of the, uh, the, the Royal Academy of Sciences. He had every, every possible distinction given in the first part of the 20th century as a mathematician and a physicist. 70 patents to his name he was an avid uh, professional uh, sailor. I mean, the guy it was just amazing in, in all that he did. Um, what's funny, though, is that with all that talent, there was a sense of, I am awesome. Uh, and he had a faith. But at a really key critical point, God wanted to teach him a lesson of Humility. So and as, as an undergraduate at Cambridge, every year they have this contest. It's, it's the highest intellectual achievement at Cambridge. And I don't know if they still do it. I think they do. They've been doing it throughout the 20th century. I don't know if they do it in the 21st century. Um, oh, and by the way, he, he, he invented the first two laws of thermodynamics. Um, and so there's a tradition at Cambridge. Uh, it's called the senior wrangler, which is a weird term. We think of it that's the head cowboy out here. but The senior wrangler is the person who is the highest, he, who tests highest on this test. And you're the, you're the most smart person at Cambridge University. The person who comes in second is called the second wrangler. The person who comes in last of all the honors students is called the wooden spoon. <laughs> Still in honors category, but you're the lowest of the honors category, wooden spoon. Anyway, so he, he uh, is so full of himself Um. He takes the exam, and then he says to his assigned servant at Cambridge, uh, would you please run down and see who the second wrangler is? And the servant runs down uh, to this Senate hall where it's posted. He runs back and he says, you, sir. And it crushed him. What? I said, the second wrangler. Yes, it is you, sir. What was neat is that he took that to heart. And through his illustrious career, uh, he said, the only reason I can claim any pride in accomplishment is that Jesus' presence in my life makes it so. He attended chapel every day. Can you imagine in that exalted environment, uh, Darwin's son helped carry his casket. So he was in all all these humanists, and he, he was an outrageously humble man at that point, who would confess Christ as Lord and Savior. And he said, this is the secret to my success. God's gifted me, and he's given me what I need to do what I do. Powerful. So if you're aspiring, uh, if you are an aspiring scholar, and you're feeling all the pressures to produce, just keep that in mind. Uh, It starts with humility. So, uh, this is my final point. If Jesus is a personification just by being himself. If humble people likewise personify humble humility just by being themselves in Christ. I, I leave you with this final point. Can we really aspire to Jesus' humility? Let Christ be your example. It's impossible. It's out of our reach, isn't it? Well, yeah. Can we really aspire to Jesus' humility? And, and, and yet the answer is a qualified yes, according to the first definition. We can confidently say yes. Here's why. We must become disciples of Jesus. We can't just remain fans. Ah, I love him. Awesome. We can't be affirmers. No, Jesus was a great man. Ended badly, but really well intended. Uh, We can't be armchair pundits. Well, I don't know about Jesus, but yeah, sure. He's one of those great people. We need to become disciples. Disciples say, Teach me, help me grow. Help me understand what my life is all about. Are you a disciple of Jesus? You know, there's no special uniform. There's no special dialect. There's no special affect. In fact, any kind of affect is wrong. It's, it's, it's a person who looks and sounds just like you look and sound. It's you being you as a disciple of Jesus that is the authentic version of being a disciple. It's not pretension or putting on airs, letting people know, oh, you know, I'm a disciple of Jesus. There's been a movement lately of people wanting to get this right, but it's kind of hit a point where it's a little bit um, annoying, where I've, I've talked to people, or they, they, they'll write things, describing themselves as, I'm an apprentice of Jesus. And the way our culture works, it just doesn't work to talk that way. It works if you are that. It doesn't work if you announce that. So you don't have to tell anybody you're a disciple of Jesus. And if you do, tell them in a way that doesn't sound like a disciple of Jesus. Uh, say something like, you know, I've come to understand that my life only makes sense because Christ is in it. Something like that, right? So we we have to become disciples of Jesus. Why? Because humility is the fruit of His Spirit. It's the fruit of being rooted in Him. It comes out naturally like fruit does from a tree. I don't go out to our little fig tree and threaten it. No figs this year, you know what's happening. I just walk out to one day and like I did recently, oh my gosh, there's figs on the tree. I don't even like figs. I just like watching them grow on the tree, you know. Um, but we're made for this relationship. We're saved by grace. We're blessed to serve. We're secure in Christ. That's who we are. And that's who we're redeeming. we're being redeemed to be. And so he frees us to live joyfully. And let me explain what joyfully is. It means living with great pleasure and happiness. You might think, well, that doesn't sound like a disciple to me. No, being a disciple of Jesus is a joyful experience of living with great pleasure and happiness. You know what would make Lord Kelvin giggle? The first law of thermodynamics. Figuring out the math to explain how planets do what they do. He just found so much delight in that. It made him so happy. And yet he had all these accolades and all this wealth that came out of that stuff. But he said, really, at the end of the day, I just love this. It's fun. So humility is receiving, our, um, is receiving God's love, grace, and guidance by faith. That's called confession. Humility is about confession. Lord, I, I, I absolutely need your absolute grace. Confession is saying, Lord, I need you. I confess my need for you. I confess my sins to you. Humility is also being teachable, which releases the power of God in our life. That's called repentance. Humility is repentance, turning toward God. Repentance just means turning, turning toward God. Repent. When we say repent, we we mean it sounds to us culturally like you should feel ashamed of yourself. But repent means that, hey, just turn back to Jesus. I'm lost. Right there. Just turn that right Humility allows us to admit our need for help and to seek it out. That's about learning and growing. Humility is about learning and growing. How can you tell if you're becoming a more humble person? You're open to learning and growing. If somebody said, hey, what are you reading? What's helping you? Ah, I'm reading this. What are you doing to keep your your faith fresh? Oh, I do that. I was doing that, but I'm doing this now. Ooh, that's a sign of a humble person. I read this thing lately that humility isn't thinking... Less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I think C.S. Lewis said it. No, maybe it was. But when you hear a person talk like that, wrestling with that, ooh, that's a humble person you're hearing. Humility is thoughtful and focused, honoring God and blessing people. Ooh, humility apparently is intentional. It's on purpose. It doesn't just happen. The fruit of the spirit just kind of happens. But the intentionality is I'm putting myself at a place where my roots can go deep. I can't control the fruit, but I can control the root. Humility increases our confidence because we know God is for us. Ooh, humility is gratitude. If you lack gratitude, mm, that's a sign of pride. Somebody is not delivering what I've demanded. Gratitude is a sign of pride. Ingratitude is a sign of pride. I knew I couldn't depend on those Afghans. I'm picking on the events of the week. I I could go to any administration. I could go anywhere. I'm just thinking of some big giant example with, ironically, Washington has never been more unified in the last four years than around this event of the last week. This is horrible. It's a catastrophe. Shouldn't have happened. Peggy Noonan, I think, gave the best the best counsel. Uh, you know, just apologize and pull it together. Pull everybody together and go in the same direction. And and you will find there is hope still. So intentionally. With confession and repentance and learning and growing, we, we get to that place of gratitude. Thank you, Lord. A disaster, you've turned into something less so. When I was going here, you helped me go here. So let me, let me finish by saying this. Humility won't kill you, but pride will. People I know who would say, I am arrogant, and I, uh, I hate to admit it, but I'm arrogant. Part of why they hold on to it is they think humility will kill them. They think humility will make them weak ineffective. People will walk over them. It'll be, it'll be, it's not what I need, man. I need my armor when I go out there. And I'm telling you, it's counterintuitive. Humility will not kill you. Pride will, and pride then has a domino effect, a lethal, toxic domino effect. When you see an organization filled with prideful people, you know where it comes from. Somebody who's in the prime leadership chair is allowing that to be the culture. Do you know that culture is everything? If you don't understand the culture of you, the shaped you, the culture of your marriage, the culture of your family, if you don't understand the culture of another country, you have no idea how to help them build a nation. If, my uncle uh, was, uh, ran the American consulate in, Af- in um, Kabul uh, many years ago. And, there, and he said, you know, the most challenging thing was understanding the culture. He said, once I, I took the time to understand the culture, it all came together and he was able to do some really great things. He was able to get permission for, he wasn't a Christian. Uh, He was able to get permission for Youth of the Mission to do a ministry in Kabul. Because he simply convinced them that these people are actually trying to support your culture, not the culture of these hippies that are on their way to India for more hash. And once they understood that he was a friend of their culture, they said, what do you need? So I don't need anything. What they need is you not to harass them while they're trying to help these out-of-it American and European kids. Humility won't kill you. Pride will. Humility will heal you, ennoble you, give you credibility, make you trustworthy. Humility is God's greatness at work in you through Jesus Christ. Joyfully, joyfully embrace that. You're qualified in Christ to joyfully embrace that. What? To live with pleasure and delight in what God's work will look like in you. So Lord Jesus, that's my prayer for me, for everyone here. That this would be a turning point for us. That humility wouldn't be me trying to get it together or me trying to fake everybody else out that I have it together. Humility, Lord, is me simply accepting you and becoming me in you. As you write a better story in me, as you write a better story in us, as you give us life that is transformational. And so, Lord, that's my prayer that we can be part of that movement of your spirit. People who are fellow disciples around this globe, linking minds and hearts and hands in your name. We thank you, Lord, that your humility is disarming and powerful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's continue worshiping the Lord. Uh, this is our time of offering, which is not when we collect money. We, we, we say, take time now. And if you want to give a financial offering, you can do that on your way out. There's a box you can put a check or something in. Send us, send us a contribution, however you want to do it. There's so many interesting ways to, to contribute financially. Um, if, you, if you need more ideas, we're glad to give them to you. But more profoundly, this offering time is to say, Lord, here I am. I'm you. I, I'm, I belong to you. I'm for you. I know you're for me. And so let this be a profound time of worship as you uh, reflect on where the Lord is in you and what He's calling you to do. Maybe it's to confess. Maybe it's to repent. Maybe it's to learn and grow. Maybe it's to express gratitude. Uh, Whatever it is, uh, pay attention. Be intentional in this time uh, as the band plays and as we sing some songs and listen to words and let the Lord um, confirm everything that's happened here today in you. Let that be your offering.
4: Oh no reason to wait jesus is calling bring your sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born jesus is calling oh come to the altar the father's arms
3: So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, humbly, confidently, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. If we can pray for you, go right out around to the prayer garden. Otherwise, help yourself with some coffee, and we we'll look forward to seeing you next week.
4: Oh, what a save.